is when somebody has dementia, their brain is starting to change. Things that they were able to make sense of don't aren't making sense the way they used to. The way that they're perceiving the world, um, they're not perceiving the world in that way anymore. So the I call them traps because when you're caring for a loved one with dementia, chances are you have years of experience with this person. So you have years of interacting with somebody in a certain kind of way, the way you interact with them, talk to them, question them. Um, and when they when they get dementia and that dementia progresses, we actually have to change our approach. The approaches that we've been using um, for years and years and years may start to backfire on us. So I call them traps because they're almost like reflexes. It's almost like, well, that's the way we would talk to almost, you know, like 99% of the people in our life, or that's the way we've always talked to that person prior to this dementia diagnosis. But what we end up discovering is um, that those uh, ways of interactions tend to make things a lot more difficult and can backfire. So for example, um, one of the thinking, uh, one of the caregiver traps is arguing. So my big recommendation is you don't want to argue. Now, of course, we don't really want to argue with anybody at any time, but it's really important in dementia because the problem is whenever we want to argue with somebody, you're doing so with the idea that you have the ability to change that person's mind, that perhaps if you gave them more um, evidence, if you showed them, you know, you lined up all the evidence, you would be able to change their mind. But a lot of times the brain with dementia is not going to change their mind, no matter how much evidence you give to them because their brain is processing it in a different way. I'm Dr. Regina Kett. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist, and I specialize with older adults and families. I created the Psychology of Aging podcast to answer some of the most common questions I get about aging. Questions about mental health and wellness, changes in the brain, like with dementia, relationships and sex, caregiving, and even end of life. Like I say in my therapy groups, no topic is off topic. We just have to have a healthy way of talking about it. So if you're an older adult or caring for one, you're in the right place. Let's get started. In the past few weeks, I've been talking a lot about dementia, and we're going to keep that trend going today. Today, I interview Dr. Natalie Edmonds, who is a board-certified geropsychologist and specializes in helping families manage the challenges of caring for a loved one with dementia. She's the creator of Dementia Care Blazers, an online resource for dementia caregivers to get the support, information, and strategies they need to take the best care of themselves and their loved ones with dementia. She has a YouTube channel where she posts a weekly video on dementia caregiving and has gained over 4 million views. I think at the time of this recording, she has like 65,000 subscribers. Her videos are actionable and brief and attend to all the most frequently asked questions about dementia. Let's jump into the interview with Dr. Natalie Edmonds. Dr. Natalie Edmonds, thank you so much for joining me today on the Psychology of Aging podcast. Oh, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm super excited to be here. So Dr. Natalie, how did you get interested in dementia caregiving? So this really started 
um, it started a long time. Well, starting about 2008 was when my first official experience working with the uh, geriatric population and especially people with dementia. Um, I did a fellowship. It was one year long, six months of the year. I was traveling to people's homes and seeing them in their homes. So there was a lot of um, people there who had dementia and the family members caring for them. And what I noticed there was that, you know, I, when you're driving to people's homes in a workday, you can only see a handful of people a day because you have to account for all that travel time. And what I started noticing was that um, people started to have similar questions. I would go from one house to another house to another house. They had similar struggles, similar questions. They felt so alone, like nobody knew, um, could relate to what they were going through. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, if they could just see, you know, the other people that I was just with, like they would totally know they're not alone and, um, you know, feel like other people understood. And then the second part of that um, fellowship was me working in an outpatient geriatric clinic, which was amazing. We It was an interdisciplinary team. It was me, the um, geropsychologist. I was doing the assessment. So I would be testing the person for dementia. Um, we would have a social worker. We'd have an occupational therapist, um, a speech pathologist, and then the physician. We'd all do our assessment. We'd come together at the end. We'd write up all of our recommendations. We invite the whole family, whoever they want to come in, and we would spend a minimum of an hour going over our findings. This is really where families got their, their, um, the diagnosis for the first time. I feel like in the healthcare field, that is a really great, we were getting great care. I felt really good about that, but there was this part of me that then we said, bye, you know, then it was like an, after an hour of going through all this information, we printed everything out. We gave them books, we gave them pamphlets, all this stuff. It was like, most of them we'd probably see in a year just to follow up. And I just thought, but what are they going to do in a year? Like, this is a disease for the most part that's progressing. So then I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to start doing individual appointments. I will invite some of the caregivers who really seemed like they needed help to come and see me in my office hours. And I would work with them there. But then that meant they had to arrange for care for their loved one. They had to take the time away from their own work or their own family to come and be in that appointment. It was like a three hour ordeal. A lot of times when you talked about like the travel, the appointment, the travel back, I'm like, that's not really working. I'm like, maybe we could do like a support group. We'll get more people together. And and then that didn't take care of the problem of like, well, who's going to care for their loved one in that moment. It was still time. And I just, there was just so many things that I thought there has got to be a better way. Um, As great of care as I thought we were doing there was so little attention on the family members, the family members who were keeping that loved one with dementia safe at home, the family member who was doing all of the care, waiting a year or six months for a follow-up appointment to talk about all of the struggles and challenges um, they're facing is just not enough, especially when you consider what I'm saying, that these little things in the beginning wear away at the relationship. It's never too late to start to make some of that repair. But if we can give this information to people up front, and, and give them the tools they need to set them up for as much success and not ignore the people who are doing the majority of care for people with dementia, then let's do it. And I admit, like, I was really scared and um, wasn't quite sure how to do it. Like, I, I don't have, like, tech skill. I, like, there were so many things stopping me from doing it. And my big wake up call, I think when I made my very first video was I was, I was, I got back into a position where I was full time seeing the people in the home. I loved spending the time in the home, seeing how they lived, seeing how the family interacted, all of that. I was leaving a patient's home and um, I got totally T-boned in the intersection. (laughs) Um, Total government vehicle, airbags went off. It was really, really scary. Um, I still continue to work in that field for quite a while, but 
it was my wake up call that I want to help as many people as possible know they're not alone and get the tools um, to help set them up for as much success as possible when they care for their loved one with dementia. And our healthcare system just isn't set up to do it. And, you know, driving to a support group to wonder if maybe another person will be there or if it's still even going, that's just not fair for the family members whose time is so precious. So it was really soon after that car accident, I just pressed record on my um, iPhone. <laughs> and I and the very first video I ever did actually was on what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia. So I just started recording every Sunday a video topic of the things that my patients were talking about the questions my patients were having that I was seeing over and over again. What were the common struggles? What were the common questions? And so every Sunday I would just turn on my, my phone <laughs> and then answer that for other people out there in the world who might need that information. And I don't know how, but it's it somehow grown into something pretty amazing. And, um, I think the last time I looked at my channel, I, ha I have over 4 million, uh, people who have viewed my channel worldwide. And that really means a lot. Like as long mm -hmm. as you have an internet connection, I want you to be able to have some trustworthy information um, at your fingertips. Yes. What's well, so valuable what you're doing. And then you've created a lot of um, tips and recommendations for caregivers. Some of those are the three caregiving traps. So what are the three common caregiver traps? So when somebody has dementia, their brain is starting to change. Things that they were able to make sense of don't aren't making sense the way they used to. The way that they're perceiving the world, um, they're not perceiving the world in that way anymore. So the I call them traps because when you're caring for a loved one with dementia, chances are you have years of experience with this person. So you have years of interacting with somebody in a certain kind of way, the way you interact with them, talk to them, question them. Um, and when they, when they get dementia and that dementia progresses, we actually have to change our approach. The approaches that we've been using um, for years and years and years may start to backfire on us. So I call them traps because they're almost like reflexes. It's almost like, well, that's the way we would talk to almost, you know, like 99% of the people in our life, or that's the way we've always talked to that person prior to this dementia diagnosis. But what we end up discovering is um, that those uh, ways of interactions tend to make things a lot more difficult and can backfire. So for example, um, one of the thinking, uh, one of the caregiver traps is arguing. So my big recommendation is you don't want to argue. Now, of course, we don't really want to argue with anybody at any time, but it's really important in dementia because the problem is whenever we want to argue with somebody, you're doing so with the idea that you have the ability to change that person's mind, that perhaps if you gave them more um, evidence, if you showed them, you know, you lined up all the evidence, you would be able to change their mind. But a lot of times the brain with dementia is not going to change their mind, no matter how much evidence you give to them because their brain is processing it in a different way. So if I were to use an example of, um, let's say your loved one with dementia is accusing you of stealing all their money. Now, of course, you're not stealing their money. You're maybe you've um, helped over, you're helping oversee their money because um, they've been a victim of scams or they're forgetting to pay their bills or they're at risk for foreclosure. You know, it, um, at some point in dementia, it becomes difficult to manage finances. So let's say you've started to take over um, the finances. What I like to 
instead of trying to argue with them, which is just going to make it worse, they're going to get more frustrated, you're going to get more frustrated, is you want to, there's three steps I like to talk about here. You want to just validate what they're saying. So you could just literally say, like, you don't want me to take your money. It's just very simple, right? And they might respond, well, of course, this is my money. You shouldn't be taking it. However, they respond. Um, you want to acknowledge the feeling under the words. So you might want to say something like, you're you're upset. Just, just as simple as that. And then from there, you want to comfort and redirect. What often ends up happening is we want to jump to the redirection right away. Somebody, your loved one with dementia is accusing you of stealing their money or having an affair or whatever it is. And maybe you've gotten, you have it in your mind. Okay. The arguing doesn't work. We just both end up more upset, but you want to, so then you're like, oh, I'll try this redirection thing. I'll try to change their um, focus. If we jump into it too quickly, the person with dementia just feels like they're, they're not being heard. So by validating what they're saying, you don't want me to take your money, acknowledging how they feel under the words, you're feeling upset, then you comfort and redirect. And this is where I just, I would encourage people to open up a dialogue, right? You you can invite them to say more, like money's really important to you. Tell me what you love most about having all your money. And then use whatever information they give you to find your, your opening, to find that redirection possibility. So they might tell you what they like about their money and why it's so important for them. And you get to hear them out. And then you can say, I love, I love money too. You know what I love? One of the things I love about money is that I can buy my favorite foods. Like I could buy fresh fruit, like watermelon. And you know what? Watermelon sounds really good right now. I think we have some in the kitchen. Let's walk over there. And by the time you've engaged in this conversation, you're, you're now redirecting to something totally different. And the whole thing in the beginning that could have led to an argument is now no longer an issue. I think the hardest part about this is number one, just getting comfortable with redirection, which you will get comfortable the more you practice. But the other thing that's so um, different in dementia care than in like regular um, interactions is that there doesn't feel like an ending. Like, so for me and you, we would want the ending, you know, like let's, let's put this to rest. Let's just finally get them to see, like, of course I'm not taking your money. Here's all the bank receipts. Here's this, here's, you know, but it doesn't work that way. It it really is. I like to say learning a whole new language um, with somebody who has dementia. So there might not be a nice closed ending, but your goal here is how do we diffuse the situation? How do we comfort this person with redirection? And how do we move on to something more pleasant? Um, And I'm really passionate about these three traps because the overall picture here is that Um, there's going to be so much help that your loved one needs with this disease as it progresses and all the little things along the way that kind of wear away at the relationship that put strain on the relationship will make you trying to help them that much more difficult, um, down the road. So for example, um, Uh, they might not be able to tell you exactly what it is that they're upset about or what it is. They might not be able to remember exactly what you said or what you did, but day after day, year after year, we're talking, um, you know, two, five, 10, 15 years of caring for somebody with dementia. um, They can remember that general feeling. And so they will become, uh, they are more likely to become um, resistant to your care and help in the future. This is why you might notice a neighbor or a family member who hardly ever assists with direct caregiving comes to visit and your loved one seems so much more 
pleasant. They don't seem so irritable. They seem like they're actually doing better on those days. And it really begins in the beginning with these little things that kind of wear away at the strain of the relationship. So um, the first caregiver trap is don't argue. And I just say that from, it's not necessarily like you wanting to argue. It's, It's really you wanting to defend yourself. You're doing things to try to help your loved one and they're viewing it as harmful. So rather than trying to directly um, change their point of view, which often makes things worse. It's kind of validate, acknowledge their feeling, let's comfort, and then look for that redirection. That would be um, my recommendation for this uh, caregiver trap. The arguing trap. Yeah. Uh, and the example of um, the neighbor coming over and your loved one is so pleasant with them. Yes. And yeah. I, I know <laughs> I would, I would have, um, uh, clients that I would work with or families that I would work with with dementia, they would come into the clinic where I worked. I was in a medical system, but an outpatient clinic. And and I would meet them and I would say, like, for example, Miss Jones, come back and meet with me. And mm-hmm. their family member would say, she would never come. And if I was the one asking, she would never follow me. And mm-hmm. and the um and the family is just constantly frustrated. Well, so is she that sick? Or maybe right. she she just does this with me. And yeah. So this yeah. Caregiving it makes trap. it really confusing. It's like, is my loved one putting me on, you know, are they doing things to make my life more difficult on purpose? And there's, it's, um, it's not as simple as like, it might seem in just like this conversation, there's a lot of different factors involved, but whenever we can start to improve in one factor and then another factor, it, it really does start to have a compound effect. So I think the challenge here is just realizing like, we have to change our interaction. And, you know, if, if it was like somebody who didn't have dementia and they were accusing you of stealing their money, you would absolutely say, uh, that's not right. Here's bank statements. Like let's, this is, I don't know where you're getting this, you know, but for the person with dementia, it just doesn't work the same way. And so I think the hard part is kind of adjusting to that and learning the new language. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And a so, new way of interacting. Yeah, absolutely. It's a total new way of interacting. And I guess I want to emphasize here is that nobody's perfect, right? We're we're like of the three, um, I have two more I'll share here in a moment, but like, we're going to slip back into these things. We've communicated the majority of our life kind of using these things. And so it's totally natural that every now and then you would slip back into it with your loved one who has dementia. And especially when you add things like not great sleep, other caregiving demands, all the other, like trying to organize your own health and your loved one's health, probably other family members, maybe a job, like the more things you add on top of it, like some days you're just, it's going to go out the window and you're going to just respond however you want to respond. And it's totally okay. Yeah. You just, just like learning language, you make a mistake and you keep trying. Totally. Absolutely. Um, so the second caregiver trap I like to talk about is to, um, avoid reasoning. So reasoning makes really a lot of sense and it's very similar to avoiding the arguing, but this is where it's really important to like join your loved one's world. When you're trying to find um, a way to um, respond to perhaps a behavior that shows they're in distress, we're not going to really be able to get very far solving it from our point of view. So like, for example, if your loved one's having visual hallucinations and they are seeing there's kids in the living room right now, what are they doing here? Right. You trying to use reasoning might say there are no kids here. Look, 
I'm, I'm standing in the spot where you say the kids are, they're not here. I've even had, um, uh, family members will like record, have a video camera and say, look, nobody has come into the home. Nobody is here right now. Right. And it makes total sense that somebody would use the reasoning to try to, um, convince somebody or show somebody, um, you know, what's really happening. But the thing is the person with dementia, their brain is literally seeing those kids. And so when you say it's, they're they're not there, um, it starts to, again, another one of those things that wears away at the relationship, but it also, um, starts to, your loved one is more likely to be suspicious of you, not trust you start to question you. And again, in that moment, and even well down the line is going to make your caregiving experience that much more difficult. So the hallucinations is like a really easy example of like, we don't want to reason with them. Their brain is actually showing them this thing that we don't see. And so we have to come up with a way to respond that helps ease them, that comforts them. This is a really great place to say, oh, there's kids right there. Okay. They shouldn't be there. You know what? Let me take care of that here. Walk with me. Let's go sit over here in the kitchen, give them a cup of water, whatever it is. I'm going to go take care of their kids. I'm going to go call their parents or something like that. So you solved the problem from their point of view. If we solved it from our point of view, we'd be banging our heads against the wall because we'd just be saying nobody is there. Um, And so this is a really good example of like the reasoning that we would use in 99% of our conversations with other people and the way that you've interacted with your loved one all those years is not um, the reasoning is not what you would use now in this disease process. Another common example would be um, somebody who is insisting, I want to go home. You know, like, I want to go home. I want to go home. But they are at home, right? And so you could be trying to say, like, you're at home. This is your home. We've lived here for 25 years. You see that picture? That's you. You see your bed? Like, this is your closet. These are your clothes. And the more you're trying to reason from your point of view, the more upset and agitated and frustrated your loved one's becoming. And this is another great place where you can use those three three tips from before and the don't argue phase where you can just, you know, validate what they're saying. You want to go home, right? Acknowledge the feeling under their words. You miss your home, right? And then you can do the comfort and redirection. And again, this is where you just engage in a conversation, right? A lot of times, when somebody with dementia says they want to go home, it's usually a home associated from a time in their younger years. And so you can ask them, like, um, what do you miss about your home? What did you like most about your home? And listen for the, what their responses to then, again, give you that opening for redirection. Oh, you really liked your garden? Yes, I grew all the vegetables, you know, all the things. What was your favorite vegetable to grow? Oh, tomatoes? You know what? I think we have some tomatoes. That, that sounds so good right now. You know what? I love uh, flowers, too. Have you ever tried growing flowers? Like, and all of a sudden, you're no longer talking about wanting to go home. You're on something, again, totally different. Again, it's hard for um, the caregiver, because we want the clothes, we, we want the clothes loop, like, okay, we've taken care of this, they realize they're at home now. And dementia, like this might come up again, and again, and again. And so you'll just use the, um, you'll use your response, you'll use this kind of framework again, and again, and again, a lot of times, um, sometimes people will ask me, like, well, how do I know it's working? Like, how do I know this is working? And uh, the way that you know, how you're handling things is working is based on your loved one's response. So if your response 
is seems to be making your loved one more frustrated and agitated, it's just feedback. Okay, that's not the response I, I, I'm going to try. Let me try something else. But if your response all of a sudden has them eating tomatoes in the kitchen, yes, that is a success. And if it happens again tomorrow, you you use the same framework. It might not be tomatoes tomorrow. It might be um, something totally different and that's okay. But um, a lot of times I see caregivers get discouraged that things keep happening and keep happening. And we certainly want to see if there's like an underlying thing that we can take care of to help um, remove their distress. You know, for example, pain, if they keep like tugging at their pants or something um, and, you know, like we definitely want to have that detective mindset. Like, is there something we can help improve? Um, But a lot of times with the behaviors, it's, it's their belief in their mind um, and no amount of reasoning is going to be able to change that belief. So how do we acknowledge them and be able to move forward in the day and then keep going back to um, to that approach moving forward if it happens? Oh, that's helpful. Okay. The, one, of the, one of the examples that popped up was around infidelity. That yes. was one that I would get a lot. It's yes. hard to validate. Yes, I'm having an affair. Right. <laughs> And you don't have to, you don't have to agree to it. Um, A lot of times I I like to remind caregivers just because you uh, don't correct them, just because you don't argue with them, it doesn't mean you agree with them. So like in the infidelity example, you can say, um, you think I'm having an affair or um, you think I'm with somebody and they might respond and say, uh, yeah, you are. I don't think so. I know. So whatever it might be. Right. And you can say um, you're hurt right now or you're mad right now, whatever you think that emotion is, right? And like, yeah, I'm mad, blah, 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 you can say. And then again, this is where you comfort and redirect. You can go back to that framework and say, only a fool would ever do something like that to you. I still remember the very first time I saw you and that beautiful smile, you had the most beautiful smile ever. Do you remember that first day that we met? Blah, blah. And then like at some point, you know, like they, you get into that conversation. So, but you don't jump to it right away because if you tried to jump to it right away, they're going to be like, no, but you're not listening. I saw you with that woman. I I saw you with the neighbor, Um, you know? And so it's like, you can even say, I'm so sorry you're feeling that way. Or I understand you're upset with me right now. Like it's just the validation, acknowledging their feeling. You know what? I would be pretty sad too, if I thought that was happening. And then you engage in that conversation and, and you start to redirect and like, you talk about, you know, for like the example that I was going on, like, remember that first time we met, you know, we were walking down to the lunch and da, 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 and like, oh, there goes that smile. That's the smile. Right. And like, again, you move off. It, it does take practice. It, and just like learning a new language, if we're using that analogy of learning a new language, um, it's rough in the beginning. <laughs> you might only like be able to get like one word out or it might be really choppy or you might say something and that other person in the language and the other person has no idea what you're saying. True in dementia as well. You might try the redirection and it flops or it doesn't go well or it's really choppy or it's not smooth. But the more you practice it, the more natural it gets, just like learning a new language. That's very helpful. Okay. What's the third trap? Okay. The third trap is, um, you don't want to correct. Now this is really important because in, uh, caring for somebody with dementia, there's going to be so many things that they're going to need help with, um, down the road. Right. And there's going to be no shortage of things where, uh, or no, no shortage of times where they're doing something wrong or they're saying something incorrectly. Right. And again, it gets back to 
is this worth another wearing away of the relationship? My general rule of thumb is if imminent safety concern is not happening, if there is not an imminent safety concern, can we just let this one go? Can we just not even correct them? You know, if they say somebody called them and that person's been dead for 10 years, we don't, we don't need to remind them of that. You know, if they said they visited with somebody or they ate something they didn't eat, it, it doesn't matter. Again, this is another one of those reflexes that we would probably easily just correct with anybody else. Oh no, we went to lunch yesterday, not Wednesday, or no, that person didn't call you. You know, they were with me today. Like we, we would probably do it without thinking. And an, another person with um, their brain fully functioning the way that it should would be like, oh yeah, I, I totally forgot. But with a person with dementia, you risk so much more in um, the the strain on the relationship that it's not worth it. Here's where you really want to choose your battles wisely. And I, I tend to just say, if, if it's not a safety concern, is this something you can just let go? Mm-hmm. That, these are great recommendations. So, so the first is don't argue. And the second is don't reason. And the third is don't correct. Absolutely. That's if you want to maintain the best possible relationship with your loved one moving forward, not only like in the moment, it's like using the kind of three steps of kind of validating, acknowledging how they feel and then comforting and redirecting like that will help you in the moment, but trying to avoid these three things as much as possible will um, help in maintaining your relationship in the future, which is so important because as your loved one starts to need help with dressing and bathing and toileting and eating a lot of these really intimate hands-on care tasks, you want as much as possible your face and your presence to be associated with, um, you know, pleasant, not that it's always pleasant, but not so much focused on the person who's always telling me I'm doing something wrong. The person who's always telling me what I'm saying is not true. The person who's always telling me, um, you know, what I believe isn't right. Like, so we're just trying to avoid that as much as possible. It doesn't mean you let your loved one do whatever they want to do. Absolutely not. But we just become um, really aware of our approach and how we decide we're going to intervene with our loved one. And it's usually not the direct heads-on approach we would use with most people in our life. Right. Yeah. These are really helpful strategies. When we were preparing for this interview, you said that you have one top recommendation for caregivers. So what is that recommendation, that number one recommendation? Okay. So when you think about somebody caring for somebody with dementia, which can last for years and years and years, and you also have to consider most of the people caring for a loved one with dementia are pretty caring people, right? But if I can just like put on a billboard somewhere, I I would just want every caregiver to let it sink in that there is no amount of guilt, no amount of suffering, no amount of sacrifice, no amount of withholding joy from yourself that will ever change the fact that your loved one has dementia. And what I mean by that is that so many times, like caregivers put their entire life on hold. And I understand like in many respects, your whole life does get turned upside down and you need to make a lot of different changes. but so many people will maybe um, they are in the shower when they can't even be caring with their with their loved one in that moment and they're worried their mind is going or um, they might have the opportunity to I used to work with a, a care blazer who um, would go out to lunch with a friend and then just have so much guilt the moment she realized that her loved one couldn't be there with her right and it's like 
if I thought that feeling guilty and worrying and withholding all joy from yourself would somehow make this disease go away and somehow benefit your loved one, I might, I might entertain the idea. Okay. Let's, let's guilt trip ourselves, but it, it really does. It does absolutely nothing. And so I know it's a, it's a big statement, but if it can just sink in a little bit that if you have any moment, any chance for joy, or just to be in the present moment, like without the worry, the guilt, um, the withholding of joy, please do because um, none of it will, will change the dementia. And that's what a lot of my videos are on my YouTube channel is like, how do you start to implement self-care? How do you start to live a life that you feel good about without sacrificing your time, without sacrificing your money, without having to hire help? Like there are really practical, realistic ways. And I, I spend a lot of my um, videos talking about those things so you can slowly start to implement it. Yeah. And speaking of your videos, where can people find them? Yeah. So probably the easiest way is to go to my website, www.careblazers.com. Everything um, that I do is kind of on that website, but there's a little link on the top that says TV and you can click on it. It will link you to my YouTube channel. Or if you just type in Careblazers in Google, it'll pop up. <laughs> Yeah, it's so easy to find. And I love how wide reaching your tips and resources are going internationally so that everybody has these, like you said, trustworthy resources. And you're a board certified Jero psychologist. It's, um, you know, I think less than 5%, probably much less than 3% are Jero psychologists, board certified Jero psychologists. So that's. Um, yeah, I forget when I got board certified, I forget the exact number, but I think there was like less than 50 of us in the country or in the world, you know, yeah. uh, so it's growing more and more people are starting to come um, into the field of geriatrics and it's much needed. So it's wonderful. Yeah. Here, here. I completely agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I'll link to all of um, your website and the, the YouTube channel in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you for having me. If you are concerned about a loved one with memory loss, download my free memory loss guide. In it, I talk about the signs to be mindful of. I talk about the benefits of early diagnosis of dementia and what to do if you're worried that your loved one is showing some of the signs and symptoms of dementia. So head on over to the show notes and download that free memory loss guide now. And just a reminder, I would love for you to join my Caring for Aging Parents community on Facebook, where we support each other in caring for our older loved ones. You guessed it. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. That's all for today. Now it's your turn. All you have to do is subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with others so that they can be part of the conversation too. One last thing, a special thanks to Jasmine Joyner, our Psychology of Aging podcast intern for all you do. Lots of love to you and your families. Bye for now.